interviewed um miss kuros who is a biden key lieutenant for the uh transitions team and it was like a very um like impressive interview and it was i think you'll find it interesting because as of right now we are in the midst of an election like the votes are literally still being counted there's like 90% of the vote and still 10% left. And it looks like it's leaning towards Biden. So I just interviewed her and it was an amazing interview. Um, just like really fun. And um, yeah, I think, we, I say we just jump right in. Hi, Kai. Hi. How are you? It's just such fun having a having a chance to, to chat with you. Oh, thank you. Um, sure. Would you like to introduce yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Shireen, Shireen Kouros, and I have most recently been volunteering full time uh, with the campaign. Uh, I do uh, my daytime job is in the hotel world. So I had the pleasure of working with your father uh, when he was still a student and he uh, worked at the bell desk, he worked uh, with security. So all the real world experience he's had was in those few months when he was working with me. <laughs> and just the Biden campaign to clarify, right? Yeah, so I'm volunteering with the Biden campaign. It's been uh, a year and what, it was April of last year I started. Nice. Um, and yeah. So it's been uh, it's been just more and more of it as the days came closer to the election. Very exciting, but very stressful. Nice. Okay, so I'm just gonna jump right into questions, okay? Absolutely. Okay, so what was it like to like feel the roller coasters of winning and losing lots of states on election night? The first one. Yeah. Well, it was. Um... It was stressful, but there's no question that I think we all learned a lesson from 2016 um, when you were uh, what, five. Um, in 2016, when um, you know there was such confidence about Hillary Clinton winning and it was such a, a resounding defeat, I think everyone went into this um, far more prepared uh, to have, uh, have a, you know, sort of just reserved expectations um, so as not to be too disappointed as things went along through the evening. Mm hmm. So do you think that um, Arizona is Biden's or do you think Trump still has a chance as it's one of the key states for Biden? Because I know it's been called for Biden by a few news stations, but not others. Yes. So, no, I think Arizona uh, is is firmly in the Biden uh, column. I think, uh, you know, based on the conversations we had earlier today with the campaign, they they feel that uh, the votes that are going to come in are going to come in uh, late for him through the mail-in votes, and it will uh, it will ultimately remain uh, in his in the Biden column. So, do you think that um, that Biden's going to be able to win Pennsylvania, which he's ninety thousand-ish behind by, 
or Georgia, which used to be 600,000 ahead for Trump, but now is only 9,000. Right, so that's, those are very good questions. Um, so Pennsylvania and Georgia um, will be, I mean, th they have a lot of time still um, in some of those, uh, in Pennsylvania, certainly they still have quite a few days to count the, the absentee ballots. Um, earlier today, they estimated that there were several hundred thousand still outstanding. Um, so absolutely in both instances, the outstanding ballots are coming from urban areas uh, where you have uh, typically more, it's a democratic um, area of the state and their mail-in votes, which once again, tends to favor the democratic uh, candidates. So I do feel that um, certainly both are in play. Absolutely. North Carolina is not, but those two are. So do you think that um, Trump will be able to win any of these court cases that he has proposed? No, not at all. I think that too, it, it's too frivolous. It's, it's, were you to take the pandemic out, um, maybe, but I think in the current climate and you know, with the, the issues with the postmaster general, I don't think he's going to win any. They're gonna let them count the votes. So do you think that maybe the, um, the reason that he was trying to almost defend, uh, defund the, uh, um, the like, postal service was maybe because of this and he was planning for this? Absolutely, absolutely. He, because he had um, effectively signaled to his supporters not to mail in their, their votes, uh, knowing that the Democrats would, knowing that the Democrats um, are following the science and more concerned about uh, the virus, that they would uh, opt for a safer option and, and uh, mail them in. Uh, absolutely, I think this was all um, calculated and organized. Okay, so what did Biden do differently than Secretary Clinton to win back the blue wall? Well, a couple of things. So I think part of the problem with um, 2016 is that the folk, the, there was an assumption, uh, it was taken for granted. A lot of it, candidly, you know, when you look back at the polls um, were misleading. Uh, it, there was a sense of um, overconfidence. And so they were really focusing on states that weren't even in play in 2016. And what uh, VP Biden did, which was very smart, is he really did keep focusing on the states that had to be won. Uh, and while it was tempting, people said, you know, Texas is potentially a purple state. He ignored, he didn't ignore it, but he took it for what it's worth. And he focused on uh, recapturing those blue states. Those, uh, those uh, the, the, the Rust Belt. Yeah, so it was very, it was a smart strategy. Um, and I think he listened to his advisors as well. So I heard you mention that the polls were misleading in the last election. Um, does that mean that they weren't in this election or real, or were they still misleading in this election? They were still misleading. I think the, it's funny, I was reading an article about this, actually a couple of articles, and I think it's, it's going to be a, a real reckoning that's gonna have to, have to happen in the, in the world of pollsters and that type of thing, that they're going to have to decide um, how they poll, because one of the issues obviously is if you have an electoral college system um, and you're doing uh, popular, uh, popular voting polling, which is effectively what they, they do, um, it's not accurate. So I think uh, there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, rethought put into that come uh, 2022 and 2024. So why do you think the polls were misleading? 
Well, I think it's because what happens, well, there's a couple of things that happen. I think that um, the same people get called, uh, perhaps repeatedly. I, I have friends who are from socioeconomically uh, poor neighborhoods and they are never called. They are never, ever, ever, reach, no one reaches out to them. So um, I, I think they go to the same neighborhoods. Uh, the, the, the size of the polls are uh, small um, relative to the fact that if you think about it, if you call into uh, a county in Pennsylvania and you cross over to the next county, the, the difference between those two counties is 90% Republican to 90% Democrat. So uh, if you're not actually polling by county, um, you, you're, you're polling by state, you're missing out on a lot of the nuances that exist in counties between urban and, and, uh, and uh, the suburbs and rural America. So do you think that they could have learned from um, like the last election or other ones before it? To Absolutely. Make Absolutely. I think, I think the, you know, that it was brushed off as being an anomaly to an extent. I think they did say that they had made, um, they made, had made uh, changes in how they were uh, polling. But the reality is now we get to look at, uh, you know, how diverse, how diametrically opposed so many people are within such a small space of like a state like Maine or, or some of these other states that you really, that is how um, micro uh, the polling has to be moving forward. It has to be as if you were, were um, experiencing the, the election itself is how you would have to poll, I think. I'm not an expert though, but. So do you think, now back to my blue wall questions, just yes. so you know. So do you think that um, it was almost, let's say unusual that Ohio wasn't part of it? I was a little surprised. Yes, I, I, I was a little surprised. It's funny because I actually spoke to people there who felt very confident. Um, so I think that's a, that's definitely something to revisit because just as that didn't happen, so too could have been, it could have been the case in Michigan and, and Wisconsin. So um, I definitely think that's gonna be something that'll be revisited uh, because there was a certain amount of confidence that it, it, it could possibly work with Kasich, the former governor, um, uh, endorsing Joe, I think uh, the hopes were that it would it would go it would go for Bo, for um, Joe, but it didn't. So why was there a uh, why did why was Biden able to win back the blue wall, but not inspire a blue wave as it seems? Yeah, I think uh, two things. I think firstly that. Um, so Joe Biden is a, is sort of your everyday Joe. He's he's a he's very relatable, and I think in the end people voted for him. His his likability factor is very high. Um, and he's from Scranton, um, so you know the average guy identifies guy gal. Um, the average person identifies with him, and voted for him. Um, but then when you step back and you look down the ballot at other candidates. I think um, there wasn't that type of uh, relationship. It didn't exist. And I think, you know, when you look at Arizona, the reason Mark Kelly won in Arizona is because it wasn't just Joe doing it on his own, but you had Cindy McCain who um, was supporting him. So you had a very respected family, um, Arizona family supporting uh, the president, so it, or Republican family. So it added a greater dimension. So I think it's really that people voted for 
Joe as a person, um, but then down ballot went back to uh, voting for the candidates that they felt most comfortable with. Do you think that he could have inspired more votes if he had not promised to raise taxes on the rich? Like, do you think he could have gotten them to vote for him? No. So it's funny you say that. I actually spoke to someone, it's a client of mine, and they were complaining about the taxes. They're very wealthy and they're complaining about taxes. But in the end, if you look at what's happening now um, with a lot of the wealthy, um, the, the, the wealthy population in, in the country, they do recognize that it isn't necessarily just about their personal wealth, that there's a, there's a, it's a bigger um, structure that needs to be, um, to be uh, taken care of. And I also think that a lot of these people are in these urban areas. So those urban areas uh, tended to vote blue um, this time around. And, and that's where I think a lot of these, uh, the wealthier um, 400,000 and up, I think that's where they are. The idea that um, you know, it was misinterpreted that everyone's taxes would go up. I think once that was uh, clarified repeatedly, people understood that it is a certain, certain group 400,000 up who would be affected, um, not the average person. So do you think that um, he, that Trump lost himself votes by leaving the Paris Climate Agreement? And will Biden maybe get back into that as like something that'll help him with re-election if he wins? So he's going to uh, definitely it is, you know, when they go into office, they have their plan for the first uh, 90 days. He will, it is top of his list to rejoin the uh, Paris Climate Agreement. Um, do I think Trump lost votes? Um, I think he would have lost them in conjunction. So I think Trump has two groups. Trump has establishment GOP uh, voters who voted for him in 2016. You know, they voted the party line. And then he had the base that is out in uh, rural America, those individuals don't care one way or the other about the climate uh, agreement. They just don't. So his leaving the agreement made absolutely no difference to them. To the people who are, um, you know, his GOP establishment educated, yes, it would have been one of many things that I think his handling of, of COVID was another thing, just a combination of things that made them pull away and, and, and vote for Joe. So what does Biden think about like the role of Twitter in the campaign? Because I know that Trump tries to um, use it a lot more than any other candidates have. Yeah, so it, that's a very interesting question because I actually don't know, um, you know, Joe's older and not even that it's old, that he's older because Trump is just what, three or four years younger than he is. He's not, um, he's a, a um, like, he's more a person-to-person -person type of a communicator. He does not, it's not a, a monologue, it's not one directional, he likes to engage. So tweeting, um, yeah, it doesn't actually support his brand of, um, of politics in terms of connecting with people. Um, I don't really know, that's a good question. We'll have to ask him. So how much did it cost to run the whole campaign? Well, I don't know the numbers. I do know that um, as of October, end of October, um, they had raised 1.5 billion um, in uh, on the on the campaign side, uh, which is a lot. It was a very very expensive 
um, election. And then Trump, I think, even um, raised a little bit more than that. So all told, it was the most uh, expensive election, I believe, in history, um, which is interesting considering how many people are suffering and how many people are out of work and all that, uh, that uh, they still managed to raise that amount of money. So how well do you know Vice President Biden, former Vice President Biden? So I've met him. I've met him about uh, five times, I think, or so. Um, and he is he's just a super personable guy. The, the, the nice thing is I met him early on when there were um, more detractors than there were supporters. So uh, back last year, I had a chance. I did a fundraiser for him, actually. Um, and so at that point, I was beginning to get to know him. But you know, as it happens, when people become successful, they get a lot of best friends. And so, um, you know, I haven't been in touch with him or seen him since we've uh, actually had this whole issue with COVID. But I was in South Carolina and I got to see him right after he uh, won his first ever primary in South Carolina. So I went backstage and got to see him then and congratulate him. That was the last time I saw him and that was, uh, it was very rewarding. So that was a lot of fun. So where did you meet him or when? So I met him, um, so the first time I met him was at, uh, three times were in DC. I met him, oh, sorry. I met him four times in DC, once in Iowa and once in South Carolina. And so in Iowa and South Carolina, it was while we were uh, canvassing, you know? So you go and knock on doors, and then he came around and, uh, you know, just basically visited the different offices to thank us all for working. And, and, and I was actually with uh, Bo Biden. So his son's uh, father-in-law was the person um, who has become a very dear friend and he and I would canvas together. And so he was always, um, you know, around when, when uh, VP Biden was around. So uh, here it was over, it was at lunch. There were a couple of lunches and I went to someone's house in Old Town um, and saw him there. I saw him at, at uh, someone's house in, in, uh, sorry, in Georgetown and then uh, on the campaign trail. And he's a real gentleman, he's a good person. So one day you'll meet him. So did you ever meet him while you were working at the Willard Hotel? No, so at the Willard actually, strangely enough, um, I didn't. I met uh, George Bush 43. I mean, I'm at 43, 41, and um, who else? I met a whole bunch of, uh, the Willard's a very Republican hotel. I met um, uh, Bob Dole. I met, um, who else was there? I think Schwarzenegger was there. There were a lot of Republicans. It's a very Republican leaning property hotel. Yeah. So your, your dad may have met some people too. So it'd be interesting to see who was at the front door when he, he was there. Do you think that Biden had expected Florida? No, I don't actually. I, I don't. I think, um, I need to listen once again, I can't speak for him, but I think um, when you look at how they deployed um, the teams, um, I think that Florida would have been a nice to have. Uh, certainly, I think it was, it would have been nice to have it a little closer. I think it was, um, it was probably a little bit, um, the, the, the the numbers were not quite as good as they could have been, but um, I don't think they were banking on it to get to 270. Um, and, and interestingly enough, one of the things that happened with the campaign is, um, you know, 
Bloomberg, when Bloomberg announced, he was very quick to move into Florida. Um, he had, um, he set himself up on the ground in Florida very quickly. So uh, Florida was one of those states where, you know, Biden was playing catch up because in terms of funding, um, it just wasn't there. He was coming off of Iowa, which wasn't a great performance. New Hampshire wasn't a great performance. So you had to wait till South Carolina um, to start ramping up. Yeah, so there was a little bit of a lag time there. And then the Spanish, the, the, the Latino vote is a very, very hard nut to crack. So that's got that's something that people are gonna have to focus on more. So do you think that um, that uh, you will go work for Biden if he wins? So I don't think I will. Interestingly enough, um, I'm not sure. I just uh, I don't think I will. I'd love to have your father work for him. So we'll have to work on that. Um, but I don't think I will. I think I do enjoy campaigning that whole sort of like that competition that I really do enjoy. So um, what I was like, the other thought is to get into to that type of a scenario earlier for 2022. Well, how old do you need to be to join as an intern? That's a fair, I don't know, but you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna get you signed up. <laughs> You're gonna be the youngest intern. We're gonna get you signed up. Okay. <laughs> that would be fantastic. That would be great. So let me tell you a few things, Kai. So just so you like can get um, jazzed about joining a campaign sometime. So a few things. This is the first time that I really got into a campaign. But prior to that, I was a Republican. and um, But there's no question, and this is why technology is great, but there's no substitute for in-person uh, relations. There's no substitute for seeing people and talking to them. And what I learned with, with this campaign is uh, the more people met Joe Biden, he all of a sudden wasn't Sleepy Joe because they actually talked to him and they realized that um, he, he has a lot of great thoughts. Um, he's personable, he's compassionate. Um, but I realized that the challenge with this campaign was getting past that, that sort of, you know, the unfortunately this moat around him that was uh, that existed once we all went into into um, COVID mode. So I do think that, um, you know, it's a lesson that I, I realized is that technology will never replace person to person uh, interactions. Uh, and that uh, it's something when you get on the campaign trail, um, that hopefully you'll, you'll get a chance to experience. It's really a wonderful experience. It really is. Knocking on doors, talking to people, hearing them out. Uh, it's pretty humbling too, but it was a great experience. So do you think that um, Biden might have won a lot of votes from trying to like overcome this problem of divisiveness that I know a lot of people um, acknowledge? Absolutely. So that's a really good question, actually. That's a very, very good question. What people, the message that was coming through increasingly towards, uh, you know, towards the actual election day is fatigue. People are tired. Um, and I think a lot of people candidly, I think they just don't want politics to, to rule, to govern their everyday um, existence. They want to move on with their lives. And he struck a chord with a lot of people. Um, basically his compassion, his sort of his understanding 
Um, that's really what, what I think was significant in this particular campaign. Um, and he, he, that's, that is how he captured a lot of the vote. I think also uh, the suburban women were drawn to him through like the fact that he, he, you know, he showed compassion, he showed you know, respect, he's passed some bills that have been very supportive of women. So that was uh, definitely significant. If my listeners are like younger, yes. like my age, how would you advise them to like get into politics? Or well, like, a, yeah. Or like if, they're, if they want to be president, um, what advice would you give them? So I would say uh, definitely start as early as you can and do, so for example, in school, that type of thing, get involved in, uh, if there's a debate club, if there's, um, you know, anything in school is going to be so helpful because one of the most important things is overcoming your anxiety. So one of the, like, I noticed this specifically with Joe, when I was watching Joe, there was never a time when he looked nervous, never a time when he was nervous, which meant that you know, because it's so second nature to you, being in front of people is so, it actually gives you energy. That's what one of the things with him, he gets energy from being around people and from talking to people about politics. The sooner you get involved in your, you know, the running for the different um, things in school, the sooner you uh, engage people. And, you know, once again, this is that double-edged sword with, um, with social media. Social media is great, but those are sound bites. And in the end, you like, People have to know how to actually engage people. You know, engaging someone on Facebook and Twitter and all that, that'll, that'll, you'll be able to convey uh, opinions, but you won't be able to mold them. So it's really important to learn how to talk to people. So absolutely volunteer. If you get a chance to volunteer, any, you know, even in local politics is great. It's a really good place to start. Local politics, get, get involved there. Um, and then, uh, and then just, yeah, just stay the path and join a, a campaign like for the, the next uh, two years or whatever, you'll be 11 then. Yeah, definitely. So get involved, um, join with your dad and stuff and your mom and go out and sort of, yeah, get engaged. You'll really enjoy it. Uh, this might sound a bit silly. Um, this is going to be a bit silly. So, uh, I heard that in New Hampshire and Maine, there were a few animals who had been elected for um, political positions. Mm -hmm. And I'm <laughs> wondering how you would think that, how you could um, try to get my dog Douglas elected. Like I how actually want to ask you, is he around? Yeah. Because is he, like, can he come on the screen? Is yeah, that allowed? But... Yes, where is he? Let me show you. He is so cute because I saw pictures of him and he's all wet and like he'd been in the in the mud or something. Dougie. Oh my goodness, though he is so cute. Hi guy. Douglas, look. Hi Dougie. Hi guys. Oh my goodness. <laughs> look at his little eyelashes. Dougie, we're going to put you up for uh, for local, uh, yeah, state senator. You want to be a state senator? <laughs> <laughs> I see he's he's avoiding uh, press conferences and stuff like that. Smart strategy. <laughs> the less you say, the better to the media. Yes, definitely. <laughs> so you I will tell you something. I'll tell you something, Kai. There was a Barks for Biden group. So they were on Twitter. They were on Facebook. They were on Instagram. 
they, the number of people who, who joined and had their dogs all decked out in their Biden stuff was incredible. It was such fun. Um, so, and actually then Biden, Joe would post some of those posts on his uh, feed. So people were like, oh my goodness, he just posted my dog on his feed. So that's actually interesting because he's going to, one of the things that they also campaigned about was just on a, on a more family level is the compassion of having pets in the White House. So there are no pets in the White House right now. And it's a weird, very, very strange thing because you always say, okay, what is it about people who don't have pets? I've always said there's something about them. I don't know what it is. So Joe has two dogs, uh, Champ and Major. Uh, Champ is older, so um, we'll see how he does. Uh, they kind of were trying to keep him alive until the election. He's an older German Shepherd, really great dog. And then uh, Major's the younger one, he's a rescue. So we're really looking forward to having them uh, in the White House. You know, you have to have, have pets in the White House. It's so important. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I agree. You have cats as well? Yes, uh, yeah. they're harder to find. They. Yeah. That's why I, we're dog, yeah, we're dog people. <laughs> I'm a dog person. <laughs> My sister has two cats. Oh, Yeah. we've got a Maine Coon and what we think is an Oriental bicolor. A Maine Coon, aren't they big, the Maine Coons? Are they big cats? Um, or very, or really. do they have, do they have a Yeah, large? they've got like yeah. ears. Yeah, ears. that's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. Um. So those are my questions. So oh, wonderful, um, Kai. It was so nice talking to you. It was really nice talking to you. And what we're going to do is we're going to set you up. Uh, we'll arrange a, a visit to Washington, and you can have a very political experience in Washington. Thank you. Okay. Well, thank you again, Miss Kuros. That was a um. A very interesting interview, and I know that you were very busy because we are still in the midst of an election. Like, we don't know who the next president is. Although, as I said before, it seems to be leaning towards Biden. So, thank you for joining me. And, yeah, thank you. So, for those of you who heard, I'm sure you did, um... Well, seems like uh, there could be a, um, a nice political future here for Douglas, Dougie Wuggy Man. Things aren't looking too bad for him, but as Miss Guro said, he's gonna have to uh, avoid those press conferences in the media because he can't can't really convey much to them, so they might take it the wrong way. But that's about all I have to say today. So I'll see you guys next time on The Kai Guy Show.